to the study of textual criticism. And so, if you haven't been to any of the others, um, we, we might be a little bit lost because we've been doing an experiment over the last four weeks. You've been helping me out with an experiment and, and we've been playing a little bit of a telephone game with a paragraph that we've been writing and copying and then you've been copying copies of copies and copies of copies of copies. So I have five generations of manuscripts of a paragraph that I made up that, that you have participated in as scribes. And so we're going to sort of look at the results of what we did there. And you're going to help me this morning recreate the original paragraph from the fifth generation copies. Which you scribes know who you are who really did not do a good job of exactly copying the manuscript in front of you. So uh, with that, why don't I pray and uh, we'll start our time this morning. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to... Look at your word once again. We pray that you would be glorified uh, in our approach to your word. We pray that uh, we would be those who, with humble hearts and a humility of mind, put ourselves beneath your word. We know we so desperately need your word. We know that we can trust your word because it comes from you. And we pray that even today's exercise in thinking through how well have humans done at fulfilling your command to faithfully keep your word, not adding, not subtracting, uh, that this would in fact instill confidence that what we have before us, even in our English Bibles today, is a faithful representation of what you said. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. That is my goal this morning. Um, So if it backfires, let me know. My goal is to bolster your confidence in the Bible, um, not undermine it. And I think the, the study of textual criticism, which is, wait, We don't have the original letter to Romans in the British Museum somewhere under glass. Paul's original document that he wrote doesn't exist anymore. Um, I remember the first time I came across that little factoid and I thought, oh, well, can I trust my Bible? If all we have are copies of copies of copies and translations of copies of translations of copies of copies. And the answer to that is yes. And, and it takes us a little bit of time looking at the issues at stake to regather that confidence that at first blush might feel undermined a little bit. Anybody feel that way in our study of textual criticism? Just me. Okay. So this experiment is designed um, to, to help us see kind of a hands-on way, how does textual criticism work? So we're going to recreate uh, that which we do not have. By the way, just a little grading report on, uh, on your scribal work. Uh, over the last week, um, I did grade every single paper. And so I know who you are and I know what you've done. Um, I will say I had 12 perfect manuscripts last week from text families that were all English. And we had one text family that was almost entirely Spanish. And I had 5, 10, 15, 17 perfect copies of that one. That's an interesting feature. What does that tell us about the care of copying when a language or vocabulary is familiar to us versus maybe when we just have to carefully copy things I don't know exactly what they are? It's interesting. So there's a benefit in the fact that some of you who don't know Spanish copied a Spanish manuscript and did it perfectly. Um, There's also a, a disadvantage in that if there's something funny, you wouldn't know. Right? So we'll see some of that this morning. All right. So here's our little experiment. I'm just going to give you, uh, here are nine 
generation five versions of that paragraph. Okay, so we're, we're going to look at nine different sort of manuscripts from the family tree that started with one paragraph on week one. You all copied. And we took those uh, copies and made families of texts. That Then I passed out those families and you made copies of those. So we have eventually have this tree with nine basic families of texts. And here's a sample from one of those families. Perhaps you've heard your parents sing, Mares eat cats, and does eat cats, and little lambs eat ivy. A kid'll eat ivy too, wouldn't you? Oh. They're hoping that their words will not be misheard, misspelled, missosed, or misapplied. Too many children imitate the dietary behave yours of animals. To them, animals' food looks too good to pass on. That that happened to two children last week is debated since kid can refer to a human child or a young goat. Parents hope what they are saying is heard correctly. Children imitate their surroundings. They will adapt to anything they are exposed. Okay, there's one. Here's another. A little experiment. Perhaps you've heard your parents singing, mares eat oats and does not eat oats, and little lambs eat ivy. A kid will eat ivy too, wouldn't you? Oh. They're hoping that their words there will not be misheard, misspelled, imitate the dictionary behavior of animals. To them, animals' food looks too good to passant. That's French for pass on, I think. That, that happened. Okay, next one. Zoe, perhaps you've heard your parents sing. Mares eat oats, plus does eat oats, plus little lambs eat ivy. A kid will eat ivy too, wouldn't you? Oh. Thy, crossed out, they're hoping that their words there will not be misheard, misspelled, misused, or misapplied. Too many children imitated the dietary behaviors of animals. To them, animals' food looks too good to pass on. That that happened to two children last week is debated since kid can refer to a human child or to a young goat. Next, Bible 100 equipping hour. Perhaps you have heard your parents' sins. Now that's a true statement. Mares eat oats, and does eat oats, and little lambs eat ivy. A kid will eat ivy too, wouldn't you? Oh, they're hoping that their words there will not be misheard, misspelled, misused, or misapplied. Too many children imitate the dietary behaviors of animals. That that happened to two children last week is debated, since kid can refer to a human child or to a young goat. Next. Perhaps you've heard your parents sing, Mares eat oats, and dogs eat cats. <clears throat> Domestic only. And little lambs eat ivy. A kid will eat ivy too, wouldn't you? Oh, they're hoping that their words there will not be misheard, misspelled, misused, or misapplied. Too many children initiate the dietary behaviors of animals. <laughs> to them, animals' food looks good. That happened to young one. Okay. Wow, this just seems so angry. <laughs> you scribes who are writing in all caps, they just... You were working on my sanctification. Perhaps you've heard your parents san, sing, mares eat oats and goats eat oats. Should I read this angry? It's in all caps. And the little lambs eat ivy too. Wouldn't, wouldn't you? Oh, they're hoping that their words there will not be misheard, misspelled, missussed. The dietary behaviors of animals. To them, animals' food looks too good to pass on. That that happened to two children last week is debated since kid can refer to a human child or to a young goat. 
parents said. Mares eat oats and lambs eat ivy. Kids do too, they said. Wouldn't you? (laughs) Parents are hoping their words will be understood and not misused in any way. Too many kids eat animal food. Because it looks good to eat, at least two kids ate animal food last week alone. At least that's what debated among who wrote this. Many. That is a true statement. Many wrote this. Was it a human kid or a goat kid? Perhaps you've heard your parents sing, Moses ate oats and does not eat oats. And little lambs eat ivy. By the way, that could be a true statement if he did in the past, but he doesn't now. A kid will eat ivy too, wouldn't you? Oh, they're hoping that their words there will not be misheard, misspelled, misused, or misapplied. Too many children initiate the dietary behavior of animals. Carla, can you read that last part for me? With the microphone. My... I don't trust I my Spanish. It. I don't know if I trust no, your Spanish either, but I we're going to try. Wait, where, which, where? Okay, so right after animals, para ellos. Para ellos, yeah. la comida de los animales parece muy bueno para pasarlo. Lo que pasa a dos niños. I can't see it. I'm not, that's not Spanish. A la semana pasada. La semana pasa, pasa de su. Discuten, pues niño puede parecer a un niño o un, a un goat. <laughs> okay. So, not every word in there is a Spanish word, correct? Correct. Okay. Just checking. All right, next. Perhaps you've heard er parents sing. Carla, you're up again. I need to be closer to the screen. Yeah, you can co- come on up. <laughs> You can translate Spanish for us. Basically, that whole paragraph. The whole paragraph? Perhaps you've heard your parents. Okay, read it in Spanish. It's, Mares comen los oats. Y los perros comen los gatos. Y lambs, which is English, clearly. Pequeños come el ivy. Un niño Comía Ivy también. Comías Ivy también. Ellos les desean du. That's not Spanish. <laughs> is this Christina Camperini's? Maybe this is Portuguese. Is this is it Portuguese? No. Okay. Just I, I don't know Portuguese. All right. So, um, ellos desean du quesos. That's not a word. Um, <laughs> palastras. That's not a word I know. Uh, Nova. Nova. Es, I know that one. Yeah, Chevy Nova, named their car uh, the es, Nova, and it, it's not a good idea in Spanish. Uh, escuchar right. incorrecto, misspelled. Insert <laughs> English here. Uso incorrecto, aplicó incorrecto. Bueno, this isn't a Spanish word. Niños. Uh, not sure what that says. <laughs> There might be some missing H's. En clase de diet, do los animales a ellos la comida, but I think it means comida. De animales parece bien. ¿Qué pasa a dos niños en la semana pasada? Pues niño y es human y joven niño. Okay. Now, do you want to be on the spot for translation or should I use Google Translator? Google Translator would be better. So... This is, this is what Google Translator made of this one. 
Perhaps you've heard her parents sing, Mares eat oats and dogs eat cats and small lambs eat ivy. A child ate ivy too. Did you eat ivy too? They wish that you were not going to look wrong, misspelled, misuse, apply incorrectly. Dead children are the kind of diet of animals. That's not dead. Dead would be muerto. I'm not saying I trust Google. <laughs> to them, the animal feed Paris well. Q passes two children in the past week as a child and is a human and a young child. Thanks, Carla. Okay. Uh, so those are, those, are our, those are our samples. That's what we ended up with in generation five of the telephone game with manuscripts. Now, how are we going to recreate the original? How could we know what the original could possibly be from this mess of manuscripts? That is the science of textual criticism. So uh, I have a definition for you on the hard copy notes. Textual criticism is the science of reconstructing original texts from the witnesses of variant copies and translations of literature. Textual criticism of the Bible is specifically aimed at reconstructing the original manuscripts of biblical texts. So to benefit from the labors who have done textual criticism to bring us the Bible that we have today, we need to um, think through some of the ways that scribes made errors and some of the ways that we uncover those errors. So we're just going to walk through a couple of these and then try to apply some of them. Um, Listed here are some common manuscript errors that have been made in the Hebrew Old Testament, sort of the most common made by scribes in translating um, or copying the Hebrew text. Uh, one is writing a word, letter, or syllable only once when it should have been written more than once. Uh, writing something more than once that should have only been written once. Reversing the correct position of words or letters. Combining of two words into one. Dividing of one word into two. Replacing a word with its homonym, right? A word that sounds the same. There, there, and there. Three different words, but they all sound the same. Uh, the, the misreading of similarly appearing letters. Now, that's pretty specific to Hebrew. Uh, a lot of times the letters can look a lot the same and can be easily confused. It happens in English too, but with different letters. Uh, the omission of a section between two similar endings, or the omission of a section between two similar beginnings. So if you have a sentence that ends with the word Disneyland, and a couple sentences down, you have another sentence that ends with the word Disneyland, if you're copying, going back and forth between the page, you might skip everything in between the two Disneylands. Because your eye just followed the one, and then went to the next one and skipped everything in between. Um, similar with omitting sections between similar beginnings. Um, there are all kinds of reasons for just an accidental omission. Your eye skipped over the page. Um, and then misreading vowel letters as consonants, the, the last two are specific to the way um, Hebrew is written. Um, let me give you a few of the manuscript errors that are common in the Greek New Testament. We can categorize these in unintentional errors. I didn't mean to make a change in the manuscript. Or intentional ones, the scribe actually intentionally made a change. So unintentional changes would be errors of the eyes, first of all. Poor eyesight, candlelight, no electricity, Poor handwriting, I can bear testimony with full electric lighting and reader's glasses. I couldn't read some of your writing. Okay, there's that one. Um, omission of sections, uh, similar to the other list we just looked at. 
um, writing a word letter or syllable only once when it should have been written more than once, um, writing something twice that should have been only once. All those are errors of the eyes. Errors of the ears would be homophones, things that sound the same. Uh, and then spelling errors. Uh, our vowels, O, uh, can sound the same as other letters that combine together to make an O, like E-A-U, you know, Beaufort, um, can sound like an O. So you misspell it because you just heard it. A lot of times a scribe would be standing up front and everybody would be writing down what they hear and they just misspell something because they've got the wrong vowels. Um, then there are uh, more unintentional changes. These of the mind, that is, I substitute a synonym. It's not that I was looking at it wrong or hearing it wrong, but I heard, what's a synonym of something? I can't think of a synonym right now. What is it? Yeah, similar words. I need an example. I don't have an example. What is it? Okay, happy or joyful. I I wasn't really thinking about what I was doing, and I supplied joyful for happy. Okay, that's a common error. Um, The variation in the sequence of words. Something sort of familiar to me, and I get it out of order. Um, The alteration of letters producing totally different words, or the assimilation from parallel familiar passages. That one's especially unique to the New Testament, because you have four gospel accounts, many of which talk about the same events, but are written differently, different vocabulary, different writers. And a lot of times a scribe familiar with Luke would bring Luke's wording into his Matthew manuscript. Things like that happen quite a bit. Uh, Unintentional changes of judgment. So I, I wasn't trying to alter the text, but I couldn't tell if the margin notes needed to be included in the text or not included in the text. Sometimes there would be notes in the margin that gave further definition of something or corrections or comments. Is that correction original and do I copy it? Or is it extra that a scribe put in? And most often scribes would include marginal comments when they weren't sure because they didn't want to leave something out. Um, And then following lines across two columns. There's a really egregious example of that in a scribe in the Middle Ages who is trying to copy the genealogy of Jesus, which in one manuscript was written in two columns. And instead of going down the column and then down the next column, he went straight across the lines on both columns. So it meant that in the genealogy of Jesus, the wrong guy was the father of the wrong begat, right? You just had people begatting the wrong sons all the way down the list. And it really messes up the genealogy. Um, I'm not going to point out any names, Zach York, but one of our scribes made that exact error. I I, I don't know if I kept it. I had it as an example last night. I may have taken it out. Um, All right, then there are intentional changes that crop up in the New Testament. Um, Scribes would sometimes feel they needed to correct spelling, grammar, or style. Some of you scribes believed there were grammatical errors in the original paragraph and decided you would correct them. Spelling errors, many of you corrected spelling errors that that you thought were there. Um, A second intentional change is the harmonizing of alterations. Um, So... Uh, if Luke has something written one way, Matthew has it written a different way, I'm going to try to make them meet in the middle and sort of alter one or both of them. Uh, Addition of natural compliments. So uh, if you see the word Lord, but you know it's talking about Jesus, sometimes a scribe would just put in the Lord Jesus Christ, adding divine names and titles. It was especially common uh, with that. It's one of the reasons that King James only uh, advocates Assume that if you're reading the NIV or the NASB or the HCSB, you're backslidden because uh, the, the corrections have gone back to the, the 
more reliable manuscripts, which didn't have all the additions. But if you take them away, it feels like you're taking away Jesus from my Bible or all of his divine titles. Uh, But those are uh, scribal accretions. They grew in there. Uh, Clearing up historical or geographical difficulties was a a scribal error often made. Um, They they thought they needed to bring clarification to something that looked difficult. Uh, And and a lot of times the scribes were wrong. I mean, they're removed from the original history and geography by hundreds, even thousand years. Um, But they uh, feel like they need to make a correction. Conflation of readings, putting uh, two different manuscripts, uh, evidences together, putting it all in there. Um, changes made for doctrinal considerations. There were times when scribes belonged to a certain theological school and they didn't want their version of the Bible to carry verses that seemed to support that other theological school. And I know that seems really dirty, um, but some scribes actually shied away from verbiage that didn't support their theological agenda. Uh, and then addition of miscellaneous details. A lot of times uh, if, uh, if somebody was unnamed in a scriptural text, but the early church knew who that person was, scribes would insert the name and the extended family members and all kinds of other details. So let's talk about some rules of thumb for textual criticism. Uh, I have the bottom line up at the top. In all textual critical work, due regard must be given to the psychology of the scribe. We must always ask ourselves the question, how might this error, if there is an error here, have originated from his hand? Does this accord with the type of mind, type of habit and mind, type of habit of mind that we observe elsewhere in that scribe's work? In other words, what do I know about this scribe that would actually cause him to make this very understandable scribal error? Getting into his thoughts as much as possible. So here's some kind of rules of thumb. An older reading is better than a newer one. Why is that? Less telephone game, right? Less copies. If we went to 6th, 7th, 8th generations of our little experiment, how different would our paragraphs be? Um, The more difficult reading is to be preferred. Scribes typically tried to make things easier and smoother. And if they didn't understand something, the temptation was to smooth it out. A shorter reading is to be preferred. Most often, scribes were tempted to add things. There are more reasons for scribes to add data than to take away data. Uh, Number four... Um, the reading that best explains the variance is to be preferred. So the reading that best explains all eight families of texts is the better explanation than one that might explain one weird text. And then the reading with the widest geographical support. So uh, a version or a manuscript of a passage that actually made it all over the, uh, you know, Europe and North Africa uh, was better than one that got stuck in one little place and just got reproduced in its own little isolated section. Number six, the reading which most conforms to the style and word choice of the author is to be preferred, right? You have a, uh, a manuscript that uses vocabulary that Paul didn't have access to, didn't know, would never have used, and that can be proven. You're probably not dealing with something original. And then the reading which reflects no doctrinal bias is to be preferred. So those are rules of thumb. They don't always hold, but the rules of thumb. Similar for New Testament specific rules of thumb. The basic idea is we choose the reading that, that best explains the origin of all the others. Okay, so uh, we look at date, older is better. Geographical distribution, broader distribution is better. The text family tree, some family trees are better than others. 
Uh, the more difficult reading is to be preferred. The shorter reading is to be preferred. Uh, dissonance of parallels is to be preferred. So you have Matthew and Luke not saying it exactly the same way. That's actually preferable than seeing a scribe make Matthew sound more like Luke because that feels more comfortable to the scribe. All right. There's going to be a quiz on all of those at the end. You need to, ch- I'm just kidding. You don't even need to remember any of that stuff. Yes, sir. I don't know how it, I, I, there probably is, I don't know about it, but you could see that's a very understandable scenario. Uh, where the person actually doing the reading in a room full of scribes says it wrong, repeats a word, skips a line. And, and in fact, what you have, if you have a, a whole text family that makes the same mistake, either one copy became the version that all the other copies went off of, or you have something like auditory listening, everybody makes the same mistake. Um, very, very likely. Okay, so what we're going to do this morning is apply sort of these rules of thumb to our experiment... And your job is to recreate this morning the uh, original paragraph. So I need someone to be the official note taker. Janet, you want to do that? Do you have a piece of paper and a pen? Okay, so Janet is going to be the official writer down of what we decide. And I've versified these. Uh, This isn't Bible, but we put verses on it so we can sort of keep track, okay? Um, The numbers you see at the left are just my codes for which family and which manuscript these things came from. Uh, Round five, family one, if you really want to know what those stand for. Family two, family three. Family three S is Spanish, etc. Okay. So verse one, we have these options. Perhaps you've heard your parents sing. Perhaps you've heard your parents sing. Perhaps you've heard your parents sing. Perhaps you've heard er parents sing. Parents said all caps, perhaps you've heard your parents sand, question mark, sing, a little experiment, perhaps you've heard your parents singing, Zoe, perhaps you've heard your parents sing, and Bible 100 equipping hour, perhaps you've heard your parents sins. What's the original? Okay. Um, Why is number eight probably not original? Okay, yeah, they've added the extra at the beginning. You know, scribes did that. They, they wanted to say, this is the letter of Paul to the Romans. There's a reason that the actual names of New Testament books are different throughout church history. Because a scribe just wants to say, well, what, what is this manuscript we're looking at? Romans. Oh, is it actually called Romans or the letter of Romans? Or the letter of Paul the apostle to the Romans? And so you get a whole bunch of different things. So one of our scribes wrote, um, uh, several generations ago, wrote, Bible 101 equipping hour. Somebody miscopied it. It became Bible 100 equipping hour. So that's not original. Um, As much as we might like to think about our parents' sins, um, that one's X'd out. What about number seven? By the way, in the very first generation, uh, 138, 150 people or so turned in manuscripts. Two were perfect. Now, Maria Guzman claims one of them. Steve, you're claiming the other? I don't think so. I graded yours. <laughs> We're not. That's a great question. 
Does sins get excluded as a possible reading just because equipping hour is at the front? No. But equipping hour might shed away some of the reliability of that family of texts. Sins get discounted for another reason. And the bottom line reason for why sins is probably not original is because um, nine or eight other manuscript families don't have sins. That would be the predominant reason. Um, So, uh, yeah, uh, Zoe uh, turned in a flawless manuscript except that she put her name on it. And it got incorporated into the next generation of manuscripts. And a lot of you guys copied that and kept it going. So that's not original. Um, what did we say was original? I heard it out there. Yeah, two, one, three. They all, all represent the original. Not one? What's wrong with one? Oh, yeah, your. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, and why, would that, why would that one be discounted? It's a misspelling. And it's, a, it's an interesting eye trick because you just wrote you've. And your sort of looks like that. There's a familiarity. Did you do that, Evie? Are you smiling because you put that in there? I'm ashamed. Okay. Yeah, so two or three. You got that, got that one written down, Janet? Okay, verse two. Moses ate oats and does not eat oats. How do we explain the does not? Yeah, does is a weird word. Unless you've seen the sound of music, Right? Doe, a deer, a female deer. And you happen to look up, what is the plural of doe? It is, in fact, does, even though the plural of deer is not deers. Right? The plural of doe is does. So it makes sense that mares would eat oats and does would eat oats. But it doesn't make sense to say mares eat oats and does eat oats. That's grammatically incorrect. And, of course, here we have Moses ate oats and does not eat oats, which could be historically accurate but doesn't fit the context. Okay, uh, what about mares eat cats and does eat cats? Other than the food chain illustration is problematic. Um, where, where do we get cats here? Can we explain that variant? Oats and cats in this font look the same. Yes, sir. <laughs> Cal, was that you? Yep. Now, see, we know the scribe. Well, thank you for your confession. <laughs> All right, then we have um, mares eat oats and dogs eat cats. Now, can you see how someone got from does eat cats to dogs eat cats, right? The food chain thing got fixed. We have a scribal emendation to make it more sensible, right? You see how a scribe would want to correct that. Clearly, does don't eat cats, but dogs do. That could make more sense. But only domestic ones. I don't know about, is it, you know, dogs don't have passports, so they can't eat foreign cats or what? Um, And then I don't know what to do with that next one. Um, But it is interesting that the Bible manuscripts were translated into various languages. And anytime you do translation, you run the risk of coming up with things that don't quite fit. I guess there are words there that aren't really Spanish. Uh, There are. Okay, good. Uh, Mares eat oats and lambs eat ivy. Okay, what's wrong with that one? Yeah, we've omitted some things. Is this a summary, kind of commentary summary, or an, an omission of the eyes? Then you've got all caps, angry again, mares eat oats, and goats eat oats. Again, I think somebody has a difficulty with the word doze, right? 
Uh, mares eat oats and does not eat oats. Again, and little lambs eat ivy. Mares eat oats plus does eat oats. Where do we get the plus? Yeah, an abbreviation for and. Do you know that scribes often abbreviated things, especially theological names? So you would get a theta, Greek letter theta, for theos, for God, or a key, uh, the, the letter key for Christ. Um, anybody have an ichthus on their car? You know, the little fish with the I, X, theta. You're like, what is that thing? Well, it's iota for Jesus Key for Christ, theta for theos or God, U for huios, meaning son, and S for soter or savior. It literally is an acronym for Jesus Christ, God, the son, savior. It's also the Greek word for fish. So there's kind of a play on words with that. Um, And it was said that Christians in the early church history, when they were being persecuted, would walk up to each other and just in casual conversation, one would go like this with his foot in the dirt and the other on the other side would go like this in the dirt. And it drew the emblem of a fish and that's how they knew in code that they weren't talking to an enemy, an insider, some sort of spy on the church or whatever. Um, And I guess it went along with being fishers of men and that's another story. So um, the plus, oh yeah, the scribes abbreviated things sometimes with symbols or single letters. And sometimes that created confusion. Um, Mares eat oats and does, does eat oats. See, I did it. And little lambs eat ivy. Um, what do you think makes sense, best sense of all the alterations? Eight, mares eat oats and does eat oats and little lambs eat ivy. I agree. You got that one, Janet? We'll keep moving. A kiddly ivy too, wouldn't you? Kids do too, they said. Okay, we got problems with a couple of them. Look down at number eight. A riddle eat ivy too. Where do we get rid? Yeah, in that font, that K, that underscore, uh, uh, lowercase K kind of looks like an R. And some people copied it that way. By the way, that's round four, family eight. And it got corrected in round five. Some of you were doing textual criticism on Gen 4 manuscripts and correcting it back to the original, making it kiddly divy too. Good job. Okay, uh, verse 4, they're hoping that their words there will not be misheard, misspelled, misused, or misapplied. Um, I'll just tell you that misspelled is one of the most misspelled words in the English language. How should misspelled be spelled? Gracie. Two S's. Good job. Okay. Now, that two S's got a lot of scribes confused. Some people put two S's on misused or missussed or misapplied or even misheard. Um, So uh, only one of those words has the two S's misspelled. Uh, They're hoping that their words there will not be misheard. You see in number three, separated out, one of the common mistakes that's made. By the way, I didn't make up these scribal errors. You guys made these scribal errors, and they actually match the common errors that were made in the transcription of Scripture. All right. So uh, any thoughts on which one is original? Oh, I've got more of verse 4. Sorry. I just ruined your analysis. It's a lot of things to look at in a short period of time. We're going to go with, and if I gave you more time, this is what you would come up with. I'm positive. They're hoping that their words there will not be misheard, misspelled, misused, or misapplied. Uh, family one. 
the, the one at the top. And the reason for that is uh, it, it's kind of a difficult reading to have three there's in there. And the last there's maybe kind of awkward. A lot of people just took it out because they couldn't figure out what to do with it. But it actually helps the meaning of the sentence. So uh, let's go to verse 5. Too many children initiate the dietary behavior of animals. Too many children imitate the dietary behaviors of animals. Um, By the way, that's homophone, right? That's the error of, well, I was listening to behaviors, and I spelled behave and yours correctly. I wrote it down. Too many children initiate the dietary behaviors of animals. Look how behaviors is spelled on number three. O-U-R-S. Um, that gets a red line under it in my word processor. Uh, too many kids eat animal food. The dietary behaviors of animals, angrily said. Uh, imitate the dictionary behavior of animals. By the way, in the font, you can see dictionary could almost look like dietary. If you, I don't know. Too many children imitated the dietary behaviors of animals. And too many children imitate the dietary behaviors of animals. I'm going to tell you something I notice about you Americans, you don't like English spellings. <laughs> Lots of people corrected O-U-R-S, which is accurate. Um, it's like when Dan Quayle, Dan Quayle spelled potatoes. Remember that? He got run out like an idiot, but he was right. Anyway, that's another story. Uh, verse 6, um, because it looks good and not to eat, because it looks good to eat, some Spanish up there. To them, animals' food looks too good to pass on uh, to them, animals' food looks too good to pass on. <laughs> to them, animals' food looks too good to pass on. Uh, two generations of family eight omitted it altogether. Um, and then back to the third generation of family eight had it. So you see where it dropped off between generation three and four. To them, animals' food looks so good to pass on. Um, what do you think's original there in verse six? Okay, yep, five, except that it's angry. It's all caps. Yep. No, in fact, the first generations, and I know you wrote all caps, so you're defending yourself here, Jeff. But in the first, first generation of New Testament manuscripts, they were in all caps, and there weren't spaces between the letters because the stuff you had to write on was very expensive and hard to get, so you didn't waste space. So that created some confusion too. That's one of the reasons some words seem like all one word, like a compound word when it should have been separate words. And the all caps font was um, not angry. You're okay, Jeff. Uh, it was biblical. Um, yeah, I, I like seven. To them, animals' food looks too good to pass on. It has a lot of commonalities with geographical distribution. Um, that one explains all the other variants. It kind of fits the, the rules of thumb for textual criticism. Okay, uh, verse 7. Um, again, some Spanish stuff. Look at family 2. That that happened to two children last week is debated, since kid can refer to a human child or a young goat. Parents hope what they are saying is heard correctly. Children imitate their surroundings. They will adapt to anything they are exposed. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like the ending of the Gospel of Mark. <laughs> I just said that out loud. 
Um, that looks like something that somebody added in sort of commentary or filling in of things. It's, it's, it's one of the reasons that we reject the ending of Mark um, because it is with vocabulary after the fact, foreign to the author, um, describing things that aren't recorded other places and not reliable. Um, probably a scriptural or a scribal addition. Okay, uh, family three omits that whole verse. Um, family three, generation four, had the verse but left out of that. So that happened to two kids. Replace the word two with the number two. Um, since kid is both human and young one. Uh, kid is both human and young one. That makes sense by itself, but it doesn't make sense in context. And then Q pasa. It's like Qdoba, right? Is that a word in Spanish? All right. Um, at least two kids, eight misused in any... Okay, this is it. This is the one where the scribe, and I already named Zach York. Sorry, bud, you're out of the... He's not even here this morning. Okay, good. So uh, Zach saw two columns and put them next to each other and combined them. And so family four up there ceases to lose sense. And he, the last sentence he put in there was, my handwriting is horrible because I don't have a desk. I can appreciate that. Okay. And then a couple more examples. That, that happened. And that, that happened to two children last week is debated since kid can refer to a human child or to a young goat. And that, that happened to two children last week is debated since kid can refer to a human child or to a young goat. What do you think is original? Yeah, seven and eight are most likely original. They explain all the other variants. Why would people, uh, why would a lot of manuscripts not have a second that? Yeah, it's difficult, kind of awkward. It's not common English. I had to work really hard to come up with a sentence that had that, that, back to back. Um, we don't do that very often. Um, that, that occurred in this exercise. It's pretty remarkable. So... <laughs> It makes sense grammatically. It's just kind of awkward. So you can see how scribes would, would want to get rid of it. All right. So the original. Carla, can you pass the microphone up? Did you, oh, it's, it's gone. Okay. Janet, do you have the original? I went too fast. Okay. That's all right. She has most of it. Here's the original. Perhaps you've heard your parents sing, Mares eat oats and does eat oats and little lambs eat ivy. A kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? Oh, they're hoping that their words there will not be misheard, misspelled, misused, or misapplied. Too many children imitate the dietary behaviors, British spelling, of animals. To them, animal's food looks too good to pass on. That that happened to two children last week is debated since kid can refer to a human child or to a young goat. And what was the point of that whole experiment? Um... Should I become an archaeologist or a textual critic? Maybe. That might be kind of fun. Um, should I trust my Bible? Yes. You can trust your Bible. You can trust the Bible you have in your hands. Because pastors, whose job it is to study the, the Bible in the original languages week after week, have to work hard to make sure they're looking at the accurate text. And they depend on scholars who have done this work laboriously over lifetimes to preserve for us in obedience to God's command, not to take away and not to add, have labored to produce for us Greek and Hebrew texts that get back to the original manuscripts. And they do so faithfully. In the hard copy notes, I repeated some of the preservation notes that, were, that we looked at last week that have some of the statistics. Um, 
The, the amount of times that a scholar today has to make decisions about a textual variant is less than one half of one percent of all biblical texts. And no doctrine is at stake in any variations. And there's nothing missing. In other words, the original manuscript is not, uh, it, not missing from all the witnesses together. For any text of the New Testament, and as I mentioned last week, for only one numerical number in the Old Testament. And the information for that is supplied by later manuscript data. So, um, all that to say, there's nothing like the Bible in terms of its historical, demonstrable accuracy over time. By the way, uh, do you know there, there are a whole branch of scholarship devoted to the study of Shakespeare? Shakespeare's... Uh, works pre-printing press, um, many of which were originals were lost, um, and a whole branch of scholarship is given to the science, they call this science, of recreating the Shakespearean blanks, where they have to go in and fill in the blanks, because we don't actually have the original, we don't have the, the record or even manuscript information enough to get back to the originals of Shakespeare. That's in English. <laughs> You know, in, in really recent history, by comparison, nothing is like the Bible in terms of the thousands and thousands and thousands of manuscripts that give testimony to the faithfulness that God has uh, kept to keep his word and the hard labor that people have kept to faithfully transmit it. All right. Um, that was a strange equipping hour. You're dismissed. <laughs>